I was looking at my video diary from when I was 20. I remember I was walking down the hill and I was like, I really want to get women at the top, the top 2%. I was studying about the top 2% at the time. I was really passionate. I was such a like weirdly passionate researcher. And I was like, my aim is to get to women there. And I just, it sounded like it was like such a weight to do, but Oyin, you'd be fine. You would actually do that. And I think I am doing that. Do you find yourself winging your way through life, hoping you'll figure it all out on the way? Hello, it's me, Gabby Mendez, your 20s wingwoman, and you're listening to the Talk 20s podcast. Here you'll find me chatting to influential 20-somethings on different topics that matter to you in your 20s and all the things we never got taught in school. This is your ultimate guide to adult life. So if you're ready, let's go. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Talk 20s podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you all about our amazing sponsors, Zedosh. Zedosh is an incredible brand new app that pays you to watch ads. I'm not joking, it actually pays you. So the other day, I was literally just waiting in the queue at the post office. I needed to post something that ended up costing me £1.53 to post. Um, I was just stood in the queue. Literally, I would have probably spent that time on Instagram or Facebook, just scrolling down, and I probably would have been bombarded with a ton of ads by doing that anyway. But instead, I went on the Zedosh app and Zedosh essentially shows you ads and pays you for your attention. It's called the the attention exchange and they are changing the way that brands advertise to us because they believe that our attention is worth monetizing and I believe it is too. Facebook and Google, they've been making money out of us for years, but Zedosh is about to change that. So if you haven't already downloaded the app, head over to the app store and download it because actually I paid for the letter that I was posting by just watching the Zedosh ads uh, whilst I was stood in the queue. So it's pretty cool. So make sure you check it out. Today, I am joined in the studio by Oyen Consola Adebayo. She is the founder of Neo Enterprise, which has helped so many black women become successful business owners. So hello, Oyen. Welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. It's lovely to be here as well. Thank you for having me in the amazing Liverpool. I've always thought of a reason to come down here. So yeah, exactly. The The studio is here. We're so (laughs) grateful to have you in Liverpool. So just going back to like how we met, we both went to the University of Birmingham, didn't we? Oh, yes, we did, yes. And a little while ago back on um international women's day we both spoke as alumni of, of an event yeah. um and we, we we basically spoke about um being you know being a woman and and graduation and all of those kind of things yeah. and from that event i was really captivated by you know what you've been able to achieve as a 20 something because i think it is pretty inspirational and i'm sure people will, will will find that and think the same after this podcast um but it was just great to also hear your your views on the world because i think you are very like forward thinking yeah. and you're doing amazing things to help and support other young people as well so, so tell us a little bit more about what you do about neo enterprise and how it works yeah awesome thank you so much for having me again my name is oyen um and i run an organization um that is a house of brands called Neo Enterprise. And the core of everything we do is all about economically empowering Black women um, and making Black women producers of um, products and services that literally change the face of culture. So we've got two arms. We've got Neo Network, which is literally our bootcamp business. So we run bootcamps specifically for Black women to become, um, to get into tech, essentially, um, and also for them to kind of start their own um, disruptive businesses. And then we've also got Neo Hair and Beauty, which is all about economically empowering stylists so that they can be accredited and they can actually service um, customers and build sustainable businesses off the back of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what we do. Um, just kind of you know some some sort of impact um you know report a minute impact report that we have um we've been able to train over um 
as of today, <laughs> and we, we, we will be training about 150 women. Um, you know, 68 of them have been fully trained and 40 of them are now in high impact jobs in companies like KPMG, UBS, Accenture. Um, yeah, and just kind of doing bits mm -hmm. really. Yeah, doing bits, I love it. Um, I think it's amazing because this business is, is so important. You know, we've seen all the conversations that have been happening across the world yeah. and how much more challenging it might be for a black woman to mm. break into the tech world and to have the same opportunities as yeah. perhaps if you're on the other end of the spectrum, like a white male. And I think yeah. what you're doing is, is, you know, so empowering and helping so many women. So yeah, first of all, you. I've got to commend you for that because I think it's brilliant. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about the challenges of navigating the business world as a black woman. Like what are the, what are the challenges you come up, come up against and what are you kind of educating and, and teaching your, the women that come through your, through your platform? I think that, you know, you set up a boot camp type business, you know, which basically is an education business when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And you think that, oh, yeah, you can solve the problems yeah. that we have just by educating and upskilling and then get them into, into jobs. It's, there's a lot of endemic problems that we're having to solve on a daily basis. So dealing with um, the kind of... Um, you know, results of what poverty may cause. That's very, very challenging from from a, from our students' perspective. Mm -hmm. um, from an employer perspective, literally like educating them. Like, look, you have to actually invest um, in the in in this talent, um, and that investment doesn't just look like, oh yeah, I'm going to hire them. It actually also looks like, actually, how do we build more inclusive workforces that that makes a, a black woman walk into the organization and feel welcome mm -hmm. and feel like she she fits in in that space. Um, so that's that's been challenging balancing those kind of two prongs really 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 challenging mm -hmm. and, and just dealing with um, the needs of the woman and the needs of the contract providers that we have mm -hmm, absolutely so what got, taking it back to the beginning what made you want to start this initiative was it like a personal thing that you went through personal experience or yeah. was it like what you were seeing in the world what was what was your motivation for for starting Neo Enterprise so you know what I mean <laughs> I've always inside of me I've always been super passionate about just changing the world from the age of eight that's literally what I wanted to do and, but I didn't know what that meant I, I thought yeah you know I'm going to be the president of Nigeria that was the plan yeah <laughs> that was the plan but that that's not worked out um, well then, not worked out yet you, yet. you never know okay like. I don't know if I want to go down that route anymore we, we, we'll see we'll see um, I might end up becoming some sort of economic advisor we don't know um, but yeah essentially I, I've always had that kind of passion to want to change my world so I used to get involved in a lot of social impact driven stuff mm -hmm. um, I used to be that kind of activist you know I, I lead pro I led protests and so on and so forth but do you know what what got us to where we are right now is because of my research so my degree I did economics, development economics. Mm -hmm. I did I, I did a lot of research on poverty. And actually I was really curious because when I used to live in Nigeria, so I grew up in Nigeria, I moved here at the age of 13, comfortable middle-class um, background, went to, you know, probably one of the best schools in Nigeria. Um, and then moving here and literally, literally fall, falling in a complete opposite. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, so what is, what is it? about poverty that doesn't that's not a respecter of persons so I wanted to do something about it and I just feel like especially with migrant um, children or people who are in th third generation immigrants you find that you you find yourself in a similar position that I was in so I wanted to do just do something about it do my research and then I realized yeah actually t tech and high impact um, stuff is going to be what's going to 
get us out of that kind of vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. It's amazing the work that you're doing. And, and I think one of the things that you, we've, we've spoken about on previously on like on, on a call before, before we recorded this podcast is the importance of understanding or having more financial literacy. Yeah, like yeah. that is a huge element yeah. of success in this world. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you feel like that can empower an individual? Okay, so you can have all the money in the world. <laughs> you can gain it all, but you can also lose it all if you're not wise with it. Um, it's really important, especially, um, again, I'm, Afri I'm, I'm from an African background. You know, you look at where we've come from, there is not much financial literacy that we've been taught even from the home because you just had to graft and you had to survive. And, you know, you see a specific amount in your account for the first time that you've never seen before. <laughs> um so essentially, I think for us to be able to build things that are that last for generations to come, financial literacy is really important. Mm -hmm. um, as much as kind of surviving is important, but it's actually about how you do you thrive and how do your children thrive and how do your children children thrive. So how do you invest your money um, that yeah. you that you make once you kind of land that dream job of yours? Um, how do you put that back into your? community how do you put it back in an ecosystem so it can work for you mm -hmm. I love that and I think you know a lot of young people a lot of 20 somethings it takes a while for a young person to kind of learn that because like mm. you say you get your first lot of money in your bank account and you think wow this is great <laughs> yeah. I'm going to spend it on whatever I want to spend it on mm. because you know before you've had you know maybe a small part-time job or maybe a small allowance from your family but you've not mm. ever quite seen money like it and mm. you forget that as you grow older yeah. you have to pay for bills yeah adults and stuff like and it can be expensive to be an adult right yes and absolutely. you know it's it's a lot isn't it so i think the more that we empower you know people with the financial literacy we talk a lot about finance on this podcast and mm. stuff like that the more that we can you know um feel more comfortable because I think there's nothing worse than not feeling in control of your money or feeling mm. really like like or like money is controlling you in a way I yeah, think that's yeah, a really yeah. like you know unsettled position to be in and mm. like, I don't know that's that's true for a lot of young people because you know they're trying to find their feet and they're still mm. learning you know what's wise to, to do with my money so mm. I think it's really great that you you've got those kind of um you know, financial literacy, you know, education that you're you're providing. Mm. One of the other things you talk a lot about is negotiation skills. Oh, yes. Tell me why this is so important. <laughs> I don't think it's something that we've spoken a lot about on the podcast before, but it's something that I am learning as, you know, a business owner that, you know, negotiation is actually a massive part of being in business. Um, so what are you kind of, you know, finding with that? I think negotiation comes with a level of being able to be discerning. So if you've got a law degree, you might find it easier to negotiate mm -hmm. um, it, because it's it's very reliant on discernment um, because your customer or the person sat next to you is not going to tell you how much they have in the bank for you. They're not going to tell you the truth because I wouldn't, um, you know, because I want to spend as little as possible to get as much as I can. Yeah, um, like anyone really. Like anyone. I yeah. mean, you, you want to be as productive with your with your money as possible. So I think, as a black woman, I've had to learn negotiation skills be and um, because my kind of foot on the, on the floor can come across sometimes ag aggressive to some people, but, I, but you know, that's, that's just aside. Um, I think that, um, first of all, when you start out doing something in your 20s, um, 
you may say, okay, you know what? I, I do photos. I take photos of people. Yeah. I'm going to charge 60 pounds for my friends. Yeah. Um, and then you start to kind of gain a lot of traction. How do you now price yourself? So you have to actually look at the value that you're putting um, mm -hmm. into that thing. What is the value that, that it adds to the customer? You know, what would they, what would they do without it? What would yeah. they, what, you know, uh, yeah, what would they do without it? So, um, looking at that. And I think also, um, it's really, really important that when you get into rooms, um, that, um, that, that, you know, you can command the money that you deserve. Um, I remember the first time I, the company you know, in our company, the first time I actually thought, you know what, I'm going to up that price a bit. Um, I was told, oh yeah, that's even too cheap. And I was like, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting because do you think it's also like, I personally feel like as a woman, like I definitely undersell myself mm. as well. Like I definitely think like, oh, like I know the, I do know the value deep down of what I'm providing, yeah. you know, for a business, but I'm maybe scared to kind of say, actually, this is what I'm worth. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what it is. How I do you measure your worth though? That's yeah. an interesting one, yeah. right? How do you measure your, I think when you, when it comes to measuring your worth, think about how much you've actually dedicated and sacrificed mm -hmm. into that thing. And also think about your time. Like how, how much is your time worth yeah. right now? Like, you know, um, it's funny because I've been in, I've been in rooms where like I've been paid like £3,000 for a speaking engagement because, you know, and I've, I would never have dreamt to command that. No, yeah. um, but I, I asked for a lot, like ten percent of that, and then yeah. they were like, "No, actually, uh, we're going to pay you, yeah. you know, ten times." Or if you don't state a fee, and then they give you a fee, and you're like, like "Wow, that's like ten <laughs> times the amount that I would have suggested." <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, that's about my rates. Like <laughs> exactly. So it's really interesting. I think it's, it's a tricky one, but I think that, as I said earlier on, you know, for you to be able to negotiate around, just know your value, um, be quite discerning about the customer. Try to understand the size of the customer mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like, you know, negotiate around that. Really. Yeah, I think it's very different to be, you know, sometimes you do have to potentially price yourself knowing on what that that business is, you mm. know, you know, is that a small business? Is it a startup? Is it just mm. trying to get off the ground? Or is it a multi-million pound business mm. that is that will quite happily operate without you and probably won't, you know, even bat an eyelid by, you know, they'll be putting like, you know, 30 grand into a marketing budget sort mm. of thing. And, you know, it's there to soak it up. And mm. I think I'm not saying like take advantage and stuff like that, mm. but I think it's also, you know, I think, especially we talk a lot about doing good for, mm. for the world. And if you see someone that's a, a startup or someone that is trying to get off their feet, you know, being reasonable about about rates and stuff like that yeah. to, to help them out if you believe in their mm. business as well, yeah. that can be a way of supporting one another. And you never know how much that is going to reflect back, back on, on you, you as yeah, well. Absolutely. Like, you know, so I, I do think it's very difficult. I mean, it's really important to mm. like have your prices and know where you stand with that. But like, I definitely myself find that I have a little bit of flexibility mm. when it comes to working with smaller business and then what I would then consider working with larger Large businesses. Business. And that's just probably you know, the way that I've kind of figured out through trial and error, really, because, mm. you know, it is the big companies that go, you know, here's my, here's the fee. Would you do it for that? And it's mm. massive. And I'm going, yeah, no, no, absolutely <laughs> no problem. No problem you yeah. know, um, and then it's, the, you know, it's usually the smaller companies are going, oh, you know, is there any cheaper options that you have? And I think it's just where you're at in that business, you know, in that moment in time, that doesn't mean to say that that startup might 
massively grow and then you know your your relationship will change and I'm sure that they'll feel more comfortable you know with with you increasing your rates and hopefully it can build an, a long lasting relationship yeah. that's the whole reason for for kind of doing that but I think I think it's tricky with negotiation skills mm-hmm. and I think I'm re- it's really great that you're you're teaching that you talk a lot about the psychology of your customer and understanding their sales cycle as well uh-huh. in, neg- in negotiation okay so it's interesting because Oftentimes when you work, we, we work with a lot of corporates. I've mentioned a few of them earlier on. Their, their sales cycles are incredibly long. So you need to make sure that you <laughs> you account for that. Yeah. You know, when you are pricing up yourself and negotiating what you, what you ask for. Um, you know, I know that, you know, one of our clients would not pay, you know, for the next six months, but we would have to kind of deliver that service. So I have to account for it. Um, so... So just understanding that that mm. is really, really important. Now, how do you understand it? It's very hard to understand when you're starting out. Um, speak to people in the sp- in the same space. Although, you know, people might see it as competition and, and whatnot. Speak to mentors. Get yourself mentors who have worked in those spaces and ask them, okay, what does a sales cycle actually look like? You know, what does it what does their invoicing schedule look like? You know, if I'm, you know, charging them for a recruitment fee, when do I expect to get paid? And then add five percent every every month of when that's, you know, of the lateness of it. And also you don't want your cash flow to suffer because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want your, you don't want the crash before you can actually deliver. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I think that's really, really important. I think the psychology of a cost of a customer, I'm only just figuring out the corporate like Mm -hmm. consumer psychology, if I'm being honest with you. I felt like I, I I understood B2C a lot um, very well, but like just understanding the psychology of our, of the corporates. What is it actually that they're looking for beyond what they're saying? You know, and actually oftentimes I realise it's just because they want to feel like they're doing good to society. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to um, to make the place a lot more inclusive, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're a black woman and you're listening to this, I want you to kind of know as well that please don't lower your standards and lower your price because... Um, somebody is trying to treat you as a charity because I find that sometimes mm. with some, some last year I had over a hundred, hundred calls, hundred partner sales calls. And like the materialization of it was not even, I think it was like 10%, which is still good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wondered if I wasn't doing this for this, would that have been 50%? Would that have been 60%? Um, I don't know. <laughs> we'll mm. have to check if, well, I can't check. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily not black. So I think it's really important that you ask questions to the customer. Are they the right customer for you? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, there's a specific large organization who wanted me to, who wanted us to kind of sell some of our course content to them. And they were like, oh, we're going to only pay you 200 pounds a day. But I know that you're going to sell that on for at least 4,000 pounds a day. So why? So I mm-hmm. said, no, mm-hmm. even no matter how big you are, it's a no, yeah. this is the value that we offer. Um, so yeah, I could talk about it, that. I think it's just... knowing when, you know, when are the right moments to say no? Like, yeah. how do you, how do you, do you, do you know when is the right way to say no? I think I'm very like gut instinct. Like if something mm. doesn't feel right, I'll feel, I, I usually feel fairly comfortable in saying like, yeah. no, mm. I think not everyone does though. Like, yeah. is, is that with you? Is it gut instinct? Is it like, or is it more like investigation and both. research mm. and stuff or a bit of both? Do you know what? It's both. Um, it's gut instinct. And also you can tell 
by someone's passion, especially with the type of business that we're in, you can tell if someone's genuinely passionate or they're just jumping on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. As I said, I had a hundred calls last year. Yeah. And we know what happened last year. George Floyd died. So, yeah. you know, it was killed, not even died. Um, it was murdered. Um, you know, I had a hundred calls and mm-hmm. did that materialize to nothing? Absolutely not. So I started to kind of put my foot down. I said, you, you know what? If you're really going to talk about it you better be about it and I mm-hmm. literally will say that in calls I said do you know what we have a lot of people talking to us so and at the end of it if they now can kind of price me down I say no actually these are the type of yeah and it's again coming back to like this is our worth this, this is, is our, our worth value. this is our value yeah, absolutely um, because I know that you will pay a competing organization more mm-hmm. um but anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you talk a lot about like navigating the tech world specifically. Yeah. Why is that so much harder than any other, other industry? Okay, so this is a problem I'm trying to solve. It's less than 1% of black women in tech. <laughs> so you can see that it's a huge problem there. <clears throat> 40% of the UK households that are in poverty are black people. Again, that's another problem I'm trying to solve. So being able to kind of lift somebody up and show the tech world that look you actually need inclusion and diversity you need black people in your space not because not just because you're helping them they're actually helping you because they have a lot of disruptive ideas when you are used to not having many resources um i I think i was listening to craig rochelle yesterday or somebody i can't remember who it was but when you when you're um, used to scarce resources you know how to be more creative so you are actually Mm -hmm. bringing in creativity into your organization and then actually you can argue that when someone has abundance of resources again this is an economic concept it can lead to a resource curse so again because we have you know, women who have hunger in them, you're going to find that they're going to work harder. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to make things happen in your organization. Um, so really trying to find, I found it very difficult trying to kind of sell that through, you know, rein mm-hmm. that in um, into like partner employers. And I also, you know, found it difficult to kind of help the woman that we're helping, you know, not just helping, but really empowering um, to change mindset. Like, look, this is where you started. But you, do you know in six months you're going to be here? Like literally, I kid you not, some people were unemployed on universal credit, now on 45k at UBS. How mad? That's in amazing. six months. That's awesome. <laughs> like you would never have dreamt yeah. about it in, in another space. Another woman from zero pounds now earns 38k at KPMG, not just changing her own life, but changing the life of her son. Mm-hmm. You know, she, t- she told me, she's like, oh, you've not just changed my life, but you've allowed me to be able to take my son out of this this area mm-hmm. and I, I don't have to worry that he's going to die of knife crime which is important mm-hmm. to me um so yeah <laughs> I think stats like that just put easy. it all into perspective of like the um, the amazing work that you're doing and like that is just so valuable and any organization you know that is wanting to work with you guys should absolutely mm. see the amazing the amazing work that you're doing mm. um we've talked a lot about how you know the innovation of our education system needs to happen. Yes. Like in the tech world, if we're not being taught this in school, which is one of the biggest things we talk about on the podcast, the Talk 20s podcast, is that so much of this, you know, adulting world, we're not taught about enough at school. Mm. And we, when we chatted before the podcast, we said like, you know, it, it does it, is it teachers' responsibility? Should mm. they be better equipped to teach us this? And and how could our education system change? Do you think, you know, I think a lot of people have, well, I've had, had a conversation with someone the other week and they said, oh, like, you know, you know, 
talk twenties is like, you know, sticking a plaster on it. Don't you think you should kind of go back and, you know, change the way and teach life skills in school and stuff like that. And I did look at it like that. And I also thought like, maybe it's not apparent to us a lot of the issues that we're talking about until we actually reach adulthood. So perhaps it's not understood in school. I, mm. I don't know. What's your perspective on it? Okay. Um, I th- it's really difficult. Technology advances very quickly. So if the schools, mm. are, I feel like the problem with schools is that we, st- we have an ecosystem and we stick to that ecosystem. When you're in a school, you literally, there's the outside world outside of the school feels foreign. So when you kind of tap into, you're like, whoa, such a strange place. So I think there needs to be some work between employers. Uh, and, I, you know, we have a few kind of customers who are trying to do that. Um, and, you know, um, and schools so that they're kind of aware about the kind of innovation that's taking place. The kids nowadays are naturally, like my little brother, I mean, you were on the call um, the other day and obviously I said he was eight and he's nine. Um, and he <laughs> he literally can code. Um, no one's taught him. Yeah. He knows how to make animations. No one taught him. Um, so we really have to look at the creativity and the innovation that's yeah. happening already in the gen- Generation Z and look at how we can actually you know, innovate with that. But the challenge we have is obviously there's curriculums that are very, very strict and mm-hmm. um, embedded and it's very hard to kind of rigid and hard to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the schools aren't motivated to change them because mm. they are, you know, assessed based on the grades that the students get, right? So mm. whatever the curriculum is, um, whatever a student then gets is obviously what they can then promote to mm. say like, oh, 35% of our students got eights to nines or A stars to A's and then that attracts more parents and the more students you have in the school the more funding you get so it's a literally a vicious cycle yeah. so it would literally have to be changing the curriculum literally. to be more inclusive of, of these things yeah. um, because without a change in curriculum that, that's but not going to happen gonna so um, I think you know we've tried to put the the world to rights. Um, you know we've we've chatting all about this, but I'd love to chat you a little, to you a little bit more about life in your twenties. Okay, you're helping so many people, but uh-huh. I'm sure you've had many slip ups oh or adulting disasters. Is there one that sticks out to you? A funny story, something where you've messed up and you've gone, I can't believe that I even did that. Oh my gosh, in my twenties. Okay, um, <laughs> disaster. Um, okay, I mean. Can it be about business? It could okay, absolutely okay. be about business. I mean, you know, I've learned a lot. I went into debt. <laughs> it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I went, I went into a, like about a £28,000 debt mm-hmm. whilst doing my master's. had no other income um, because I was so passionate about doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a massive mistake. And I think I learned a lot about, you know, it's not, the deal was not done until the paper's signed. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, the deal's done. Let's continue on. But mm-hmm. I, you know, that put me in a lot of, in a, in a, in a massive predicament. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't a funny experience. So Is that something that you kind of feel like if you would go back in time, you would change? Like, Yeah, I'll just change yeah. the way, um, the way I handled it, the way um, I went about that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nice. Um, yeah. Literally, I would never do that again. Yeah. I mean, I think we all have slip ups though, but yeah. that doesn't mean to say that, you know, you can't recover from it and, yeah. you know, and create something amazing like you have done. Yeah. Um, one of the other things we really like to talk about on the podcast is that everyone is, you know, currently working through something. So whilst, you know, you're doing great in one industry, everyone is currently trying mm. to improve on something. Is there something at the minute that you are trying to get better at? Like, 
Okay, delegation. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it into context, you you turned up today and you've got a meeting very shortly after after our recording. And I knew you you wanted to be in that meeting, but you've had to, you know, pass it on to one yeah. of your colleagues to, yeah. to kind of look after that meeting because we're going to be a little bit late on this podcast episode. So is that really hard for you, like delegation and stuff and trying? I, I personally feel it as a business owner myself, like trying to trust that others will do as good a job like that sounds so bad but it's just like <laughs> trusting that they are just as passionate as you are about the kind of business that you have built I think I, you know I employ people who are very passionate I mean that's it's, we kind of you know decipher that in our recruitment process but I think it's more about have I casted a vision enough mm. is the vision still sitting still too inside of me um that I can't delegate it um so yeah, you know, I don't have a problem delegating. I just have a problem knowing when, at what point to delegate. Right, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. you know, that's my biggest thing at the moment. Um, right now, I used to be so good at managing my time, <laughs> my diary. I was the chief project manager. I was great at stuff like that. Now I'm so rubbish. Like, Do you think that's because, like... It's yours now, like the business is yours. Is that the difference? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of demand. Sounds really weird and cocky, but there's a lot of demand for me, I guess. Yes, yeah. Um, I think that's true as a founder. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, demand from the team. Everyone wants mm -hmm. something. Um, everyone asks. <laughs> everyone wants a piece of you. <laughs> question, you know. And then you have the customers who want to speak to me. And then you've got like people who want to, oh, it's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of demand for me. So I'm, so I think I think it's about delegation and learning to say I, I'm I'm not I don't have a problem with saying no but discerning how to say no even more mm -hmm. um, you know like how do I actually know when to say no um, yeah. you know so yeah that's that's kind of what I'm work, working it's a continuous process and one that yes. you'll just get better with yeah over time. exactly definitely yeah. um, so tell us where people can find out a little bit more about you and about Neo Enterprise where are you most active okay so you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Oyinkosala Adebayo. Hopefully you can put it on the video or something because I know mm -hmm. that some people may not find Definitely. it. Um, so it's Oyinkosala Adebayo on LinkedIn. I'm mostly active there. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Oyin, O-Y-I-N, Adebayo underscore um, on Instagram. Um, you can find Neo Enterprise um, on Instagram. We're mostly active on Instagram and on LinkedIn. So it's Neo Enterprise. And from there you go into the brands that we that we run yeah amazing well we always end the podcast with the same question okay um and it's if you could turn around and look at your 20 year old self and give her just one piece of advice about her 20s what would you say oh 20 year old self um you will be fine I, I was actually watching a video diary that i recorded at 20 i tried to record a video diary once a year mm -hmm. just to see what where, that, at. where I, I was I at my, my facial expressions you can tell by somebody's eyes where where they are in life. Oh, well, I love I, that. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was I was looking at my my video diary from when I was twenty, and I, I remember I was walking down the hill and I was like, I really want to get women at the top, the top two percent. I was studying about the top two percent at the time. I was really passionate. I was such a like weirdly passionate researcher, and like and I was like, I, my aim is to get to you know women there. And I just I think I, as I was saying it. It sounded like it was like such a weight to do, like mm. it was, you know, very hard to do. But oh, you know, you'll be fine. You would actually do that. And I think I am doing that. You are 100% um, Yeah. It, yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I'll say. Well done. 
Yeah, well Not done. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for making Thanks, the trip Gabby. up to Liverpool. We're so thank grateful you. to have you in the studio. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Talk 20s podcast. I hope it inspired you in some way and pops a little pep in your step for this week. Got a spare minute? It would mean the absolute world if you could subscribe, leave a review or share this episode with a friend. We're on a mission to help as many 20-somethings navigate their 20s as we can and we really cannot do it without your support. We also love to hear from you. You can find us on all platforms via the handle at Talk20s and if you're struggling with something in your 20s that we haven't already covered in the podcast, DM us and let us know so we can cover it in a future episode. And for more stories of inspiration and resources to help you make the best of your 20s, head to our website, talk20s.com.